If you're enjoying this podcast and it's helping your writing, then come study with me. In addition to our normal classes and ProTrack mentorship program, I have two amazing weekend intensives coming up this summer for writers at different levels. You can come to New York and take them here over the weekend, or you can attend online from anywhere in the world and participate just like if you were in the room. On June 22nd and 23rd, if you've already taken my Write Your Screenplay class or if you're a writer with some experience who listens to this podcast often, I'm teaching for the first time ever a Write Your Screenplay Level 2 intensive. It's on Saturday and Sunday, June 22nd and 23rd. What we're going to be doing in that class is breaking down the seven-act structure of many different films, as well as showing you some of the really cool differences between writing for film and writing for television and how to adapt those structural concepts for different kinds of writing. We'll also be talking about advanced techniques for writing for the inner eye, for hypnotizing the reader with your action, and also some advanced pitching techniques that you can use not only to talk about your script and get it out there to other people, but also to uncover the structure in that script yourself. It's going to be such an incredible workshop. And for writers at all different levels who are new to the studio, I'm offering a new weekend intensive version of my Write Your Screenplay Level 1 class on Saturday, July 27th and Sunday, July 28th. And in this special weekend intensive format, what we're going to be doing is looking at how to break through your inner sensor to get your best writing on the page, how to conquer writer's block and set up a writing lifestyle for yourself. And we're going to also be looking at how to build your script or your television show organically from the blank page to character to scene to act and all the way to structure. We're going to do an introduction to how seven act structure is built and we're going to break down movies and TV shows of all different kinds. And we're also going to do some really amazing writing exercises to get you thinking about your characters and your structure in a more intuitive and exciting way. So I hope that you can join me for one or both of those wonderful intensives. And you can find out more about that on my website, writeyourscreenplay.com. Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay podcast. On this podcast, rather than reviewing movies like critics, two thumbs up, two thumbs down, loved it or hated it, we're going to look at movies in terms of what we can learn from them as screenwriters. We're going to look at good movies and bad movies, movies that we loved and movies that we hated. For an ad-free version of this podcast, as well as a full transcript, please visit our website, writeyourscreenplay.com. As you know, I've been doing a series of podcasts about Game of Thrones Season 8. If you'd like to check out the whole series, including complete transcripts of each episode, you can find them on my website, writeyourscreenplay.com slash G-O-T. And if you can't wait for the full podcast, then you can also get some instant analysis of each episode on Facebook Live on Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. All you have to do is follow at the JK Studio on Facebook. So... Today we're going to be talking about Season 8, Episode 4, and that's a challenging episode. We've just come out of the Battle of Winterfell, the most epic battle sequence in Game of Thrones history. 
We've just had the fight that we've been awaiting for eight seasons between the living and the dead. And now somehow we've got to get that engine started again, right? You've got to create that journey again that people are going to pay attention to and connect to and care about. And it's hard because we're all feeling a little bit let down because where the hell are we going to go from here? How do we get that excited again now that the Night King is gone? To make it even more challenging, the start of Game of Thrones Episode 4, The Last of the Starks, is pretty darn slow. There are nearly five minutes of goodbyes to dead bodies and an incredibly boring speech by Jon Snow before we finally get to the image that matters, the image of all those bodies lit on fire, and the final image of Jorah's body being consumed by flames. And that's followed by another 12 minutes of celebrating the victory, with a couple of nice scenes of jockeying for power mixed in there. So we're about a third of the way through the episode before anything of real consequence happens. Now don't get me wrong, most of this writing is good. Most of these moments are good. Most of these characters are good. And there's something nice about getting to check in with all of these characters that we know and love in the wake of their epic victory. But we can also see that the length of a Game of Thrones episode is quickly ballooning in this last season. And that's a risk you can take on a hit HBO series, but not one you can take as a new writer. Almost always, new writers come to me deeply concerned about one of two things. Either they're worried about not having enough material, that maybe their idea isn't really a movie or isn't really a series, or they're afraid that they simply can't fit all the material of their story into a single feature or into a single TV or web series pilot. The question that always gets asked, maybe it needs to be a two-episode pilot. Maybe it needs to be a mini-series. But no, that's not what needs to happen. The truth is, any idea can become a movie or TV series if you're willing to push on it hard enough. And by the time you get to the end, the concern is not going to be running out of material. It's going to be figuring out how to squeeze all your great material in. Which leads us to an important lesson about revision. A lot of people think that revision's about changing or cutting the bad stuff in your script. But that part is easy. What great writers know is that revision is about cutting the good stuff in your script until the only stuff that's left is great. It's about asking yourself after you've seen, heard, felt, and captured on the page every moment in all its specific detail, what is this scene really about? Or what's this sequence or this act or this movie really about? And then it's about trying to achieve whatever the heart of the story is in the bare minimum number of pages possible. Squeezing your scenes down to only the very best of the best of the best until there's no good writing left, until everything is great. What's this episode about? It's about Daenerys and Jon and the rift that's growing between them and their people around what it means to be a leader and who should sit on the Iron Throne. And what's this first sequence about? It's about saying goodbye to the dead, and particularly to Jorah, whose loss in the last episode is the latest knife in the heart of Daenerys Targaryen. And what are the bare minimum and very best images you need to tell that story? Well, the truth is, there are only two of them. The unforgettable image of all those many, many bodies stacked up on the battlefield and set afire, and the image of Jorah's body consumed in flames. All those other goodbye moments are good, but the truth is we've already felt the loss of those characters in the last episode. And simply by focusing in on those two images, the part can represent the whole. Rather than feeling the need to capture every single moment, we can feel the whole thing 
in a more visceral, dynamic, and exciting way, and probably in less than a minute rather than five minutes. We can get launched into the action rather than sitting in the aftermath. If there's another moment that should potentially be included, it's John's speech. Not because it's an especially exciting speech, it's not. It's a pretty normal speech. The kind you'd expect a leader to say after so many losses of so many lives for such a good cause. The speech is important because it's Jon Snow saying it, not Daenerys, who's supposed to be in charge here, and who's just a little bit concerned about her power lately. But the value of that gets completely lost in this sequence, swallowed up by all the other images around it. It just seems like a speech. It doesn't feel yet like the act of betrayal or the symbol of the loss of power or even the stepping back from power in order to let John speak to his people that it could become in a revision. In other words, while we get the plot of the speech, we don't get the structure, which is the next lesson of revision. Once you cut all the good stuff to focus on the great, once you cut all the not urgent stuff to focus on the true heart of the scene, you also give your writing room to breathe, opening up for yourself the pages that you need to get the very most value out of your most important scenes. You open up the room to meditate deeply on one thing or two things or three things, rather than trying to juggle everything at the same time. So now we're going to push deeper into this concept of revision, tying it to structure and concept and hook and character. But first, I've got to warn you. There are going to be a couple of spoilers ahead, so if you haven't seen the episode yet, you might want to plug your ears. One of the ways that you build in this way in a revision is to look at an early draft of your script and find the moments you can't get out of your head. The moments that shock you or surprise you or terrify you or even sometimes the scenes that seem a little bit off or out of character but that you somehow know are true and compelling. There's one very clear such sequence in episode four, probably the most exciting sequence in the episode. We're watching the army split apart on their way for the final battle that we've been waiting for. We're watching Daenerys fly on Dragonback as we've seen her do in the past with Jon but is now doing alone with the fleet below her while John goes on by land. We've split these two apart so we can worry about what's going to happen to them separated. And we've got the lovely magical dragon score playing in the background, reminding us of their ride together in episode one and the feeling of romance, magic, and loss of seeing Daenerys on that dragon without John beside her. And suddenly, a giant spear pierces one of her dragons, and then another, and then another. And we watch that dragon crash into the water. And we're like, what? Because we thought these dragons were nearly invincible. That it took a magic spear from the Night King to kill one. And that even that was not the easiest thing to pull off. So this is a terrifying and shocking moment. Probably the most powerful moment in this episode from an action point of view. Now, there are also a million problems with this scene. How the hell did this idiot Euron Greyjoy find this frickin' fleet just at the right time, considering that, for all he knows, Daenerys and her army are still getting slaughtered by the dead? How'd he pull off an ambush at sea with Daenerys up in the sky above everyone, with limitless view, conceivably looking for trouble on the horizon? How exactly is time working, since Euron seems to have instantly spirited himself and his fleet halfway to Winterfell, and just as quickly back to Cersei's side? And after all that, 
Are dragons actually that easy to kill? Does it really just take some old-fashioned technology from season seven? So, okay, there are some problems. And in a rewrite, if this was my script, I'd want to use some of those pages I'd freed up earlier to do a better job with all this, to make it at least slightly more believable. But nevertheless, as bumpy as the execution of the scene might be, Structurally, it's vital because it's another giant spear in the heart of Daenerys, another push on her anger and her grief, another loss that can potentially split her from Jon. We also have a pretty powerful relationship moment that happens in this episode between Jaime and Brienne. There has been something brewing between these two for a really long time. And as we know, Jamie is in love with his sister. He's been in love with his sister since season one. And this is his first chance at a pure love, at a love with a good person, and potentially to become a different kind of person himself. So we've got these two things happening at the same time. We've got this journey with Daenerys, who's going to fly off with her dragons to take the Iron Throne, only to have one of her dragons slain. And then we have this emotionally powerful story that's happening between Jamie and Brienne that's really asking the question, can Jamie ever move on from Cersei? Can Jamie actually become a different person than he's been before? So these are two very powerful elements to build around. And at the same time, we're having a problem right now in this season. If you've been watching Daenerys in season eight, you've probably noticed that you don't like her. And not in the good love to hate her kind of way you feel about Cersei. Rather, you're probably feeling a little disconnected from her in general. Like a part of you just doesn't care. Even though she's going through what should be a pretty powerful journey of breaking bad, her suffering splitting her away from her true love with Jon Snow in what's like a funny mirror reflection of what we saw in the first season between her and Drogo, which is interesting, right? Because we know a Breaking Bad journey can be incredibly compelling. After all, we watched Walter White break bad for five seasons, and we loved him and cared about him and felt connected to him. But here's Daenerys, whom we feel connected to for eight seasons, and we're watching her break bad, and we aren't connected. At least I'm not. We aren't liking her. We aren't rooting for her as she breaks bad. Why? What causes this problem? Well, the reason why is actually a spiritual one. In the Buddhist sense, it's the problem of attachment. You can choose any journey you want for your characters, and it's easy to get attached to those plans. But what you want your characters to do and what they're actually ready to do aren't necessarily the same thing. The writers have figured out that they need a cool hook for this season of Game of Thrones. They've got to keep things interesting. And with two good guys like Jon and Daenerys fighting on the same team with all this firepower, it isn't going to be very exciting. It's kind of like making an Avengers movie. You've got to get the Avengers fighting against each other because if the Avengers are fighting somebody else, it's no fun. They're too damn strong. They've got to be fighting themselves in order to have real drama. So there's the idea, well, what if Daenerys were to break bad? What if Daenerys was not going to be a strong leader this season? What if Jon is the true heir to the throne? It's actually a great idea, but I think we can probably agree that it isn't totally working. And it isn't totally working because we aren't enjoying Daenerys breaking bad. And the reason we aren't enjoying it is because it isn't growing out of her character. We have watched Daenerys for eight seasons hold on to her morality in the face of much, much stronger ethical questions than these. We have watched Daenerys remain the good guy in the face of so many options to hold on to her power. We have seen her go to war for a bunch of slaves to become the breaker of chains. We have seen her hold on to her integrity no matter what. 
And while the writers may have tried to start setting this up last season by having her torch Sam's family and force John to bend the knee to her, all in an effort to solidify her power, the truth is we're not surprised that Daenerys can be tough. After all, she used to be married to Drago, and we all know she's playing a life-and-death game. So the first reason we aren't really connecting to the new bad Daenerys is that we don't really believe it. Because Daenerys isn't bad. Daenerys is good and has been good. And she may be complicated and she may even be breaking bad. But we're not feeling her break bad. Rather, we're feeling her bounce into a completely different personality. And we don't yet have the structure in place to make us understand how this side of her has evolved. Instead of feeling the character evolve naturally, we're feeling the hand of the writer push her. And that's why it doesn't feel true. Now, let me contrast that with Jamie. Jamie, in the first season, is one of the worst people you've ever met. He throws a child off a wall. He's sleeping with his sister. He's murdered the king he was supposed to protect. He is the worst guy ever. And over many seasons, we've actually watched him change even in the face of his undying love for the sister he knows is a monster. And we believe his change. We're rooting for his change. We're hoping that Jamie becomes a better person. So why does Jamie's change work and Daenerys' change doesn't? You don't just get to choose that your character changes. You've got to force them to change. And the change can't happen in the character's head. The change has to happen on the screen. And this is the way that writing a screenplay or a TV series is much different than writing a novel. In a novel, your character can change in their head. Just like in life, oftentimes our thoughts change us. We're acting a certain way and then we think and think and think and we dream on it and we meditate on it and we journal about it and we go, oh my God, I've got to make the change. I've got to do something different. So for many of us, our changes happen internally. But when we're writing movies, when we're writing television, our job is to externalize the internal, to take the emotional thing that's happening on the inside and create scenes on the outside. Scenes between characters, events, plot, structure, things that push the character and force them to change. If you think about Jamie's arc over these eight seasons, you can see the events that have pushed him to leave Cersei and try to become a better man. And we've seen how all those events add up to that touching moment a couple of episodes ago when he knights Brienne. And how that moment leads to this one when he makes love to her, an innocent virgin love so different from the one that he had with his sister. And we also understand why he leaves Brienne, even though we wish he didn't. We actually understand what shaped that in him. And it's why that moment when he tells Brienne who he really is and what he really has done is so powerful. You think I'm a good man? I pushed a boy out of a tower window, crippled him for life, for Cersei. I strangled my cousin with my own hands just to get back to Cersei. I would have murdered every man, woman, and child in River Run for Cersei. She's hateful and so am I. We believe in and are moved by these words because we've seen Jamie over these last three episodes wrestle with his hateful past, with what he did to Bran, with the question of whether he can ever escape who he is. I don't think that moment works perfectly, and in a rewrite, I'd look to punctuate the moment when he realizes he can't overcome who he used to be. Right now, he has the words to express what he's feeling, and it's a brilliant monologue. 
but it's still not clear why, after all the horrible things Cersei has done, including most recently in a scene that's got a lot of its own problems, sending Bronn with a crossbow to slay both Jaime and Tyrion just in case the Night King failed. It's not clear why Cersei's slaying of a dragon in the middle of a genuine war for survival is the moment that finally makes Jamie realize change is impossible. So in a rewrite, I'd look at that monologue and I'd keep writing until Jamie told me exactly why the death of that dragon made him lose faith in himself. Or I'd look at the moment before that moment and I'd see if something could happen between Jamie and Brienne or between Jamie and another character, something that could force him to doubt himself or force him back to who he used to be. I'd use some of those pages I'd opened up so that I wouldn't have to rush that moment because that's the moment that really matters. But that's really just a small rewrite, a little polish on a great scene because structurally the scene already has integrity. It's already growing from something true in the character. At the end of the day, it's true that the writers want Jamie to leave Brienne, and it's true that the character Jamie is going to leave her. And making that work perfectly is just a matter of execution. So sometimes, like with Jamie, the character wants to do exactly what you want them to do. And sometimes, what you want the character to do and what the character actually wants to do are just plain not the same thing. They're not going to do what you want. And when this happens, you've got two different choices. Choice number one, you can just let go. Okay, who cares what I want? Let me just follow the character. And often, if you follow the character, you will find that the character is really willing to do much more interesting things than what you're trying to force them to do. One of our mottos at Jacob Kruger Studio is, I write the truth. We've even got stickers you can put on your journal or laptop to remind you. And I write the truth doesn't mean I write the literal truth, but it does mean that I write the emotional truth. It does mean that your writing needs to be connected. So if you're feeling like your writing is disconnected, if you feel like a puppeteer puppeting your character through your plot, the chances are you aren't going to write the kinds of compelling scenes that you're trying to write. You aren't going to create the kinds of compelling journeys that you're trying to create. So you want to find a way to do this that feels like it has integrity, that feels like it's coming naturally from you. And the easiest way to do that, especially if you're still learning, if your craft is still developing, the easiest way to do that is just to trust your characters. Just keep torturing them. Just keep making things harder for them. If they're flying across the sky, shoot one of their dragons. Let the worst thing happen all the time, unexpectedly. And your character will naturally change and naturally go on a powerful journey. So that's the easiest way to do it. If you're an intuitive writer and if you're still developing your craft, don't try to push your character to where you think they need to go. Instead, let them push you. Seek and destroy the moments that feel forced and disconnected and rewrite them from the blank page. Allow your characters to take you and follow where they lead. Get curious about when their path will meet back up with the one you previously charted or whether it's going to lead you somewhere even more interesting. Just keep them making new choices that you believe are true and they're going to take you somewhere really cool. And then again, sometimes you don't have this freedom. Sometimes you've got a hard deadline or a producer who wants something a certain way, or you're working on a series and everybody else's episode is dependent upon the things that happen in yours. And they've just got to happen in the way you plan them. 
So the other way to do this is to develop the rewriting skills that you need to shift the value of the plot points that you've already created, to keep on pushing on them until they all line up into a different pattern that actually feels truthful and connected. And if you're really good, maybe even inevitable. Look at the plot points you've created and remember that plot isn't actually that important. The only purpose of plot is to push the characters towards change. And that's true in your life too. All writers and all people confuse plot and structure, but plot and structure are not the same thing. Plot is the crap that happens to happen to you in your life, just like plot is the crap that happens to happen to your character. And the truth of the matter is you have very little control over plot, and all plot is kind of boring. Really, the only thing that matters is what choice you make in relation to whatever plot just happened, what choice your character makes in relation to whatever plot just happened. Sometimes you're walking down the street and a piano falls out of the sky and it lands on you. And honestly, that plot doesn't matter. What matters is, what choice do you make? Just like sometimes you're an adventurous little kid and you're climbing a wall and you see something you're not supposed to see and some cowardly asshole throws you off the wall and paralyzes you. And it doesn't matter what happened. It matters what choice you make in relation to what happened. And those choices might propel you into misery or they might transform you into a different kind of being for whom even the power of ruling Winterfell holds no temptation. Just like sometimes you go through the saddest and most beautiful and most messed up love story ever. And you start off a child and you emerge on the other side as the mother of dragons. And suddenly power seems the only answer to an unfair world. And then one day you're flying through the sky and some psychotic asshole shoots your dragon. And it doesn't really matter what happened. It matters what choice you make in relation to what happened. Plot's only purpose is to push the character to change. It's just the crap that happened. The structure grows from the different kinds of choices that different kinds of characters make in relation to that plot. And your job in a rewrite is to locate and amplify those choices. So we can see how they all add up to make the comedy or the tragedy inevitable. For your plot and your structure to ring true, they've got to work together. Sometimes that's happening organically because they're coming from your heart. You feel connected as you write them. You actually believe that it's true yourself. And other times, plot and structure start from different places, with plot coming from an intellectual idea or from an outline or from a producer or a star or a preconception or a financing opportunity or setting something up for the future or the loss of a location or a million other non-organic places that aren't in alignment with what's in the heart of your characters or what's in your own heart as a writer. And you've still got to find a way to make that plot work together with your structure, to keep on pushing on it until you believe it's true, not just in your head, but also in your heart. And this is another part of the spiritual aspect of screenwriting and the spiritual aspect of rewriting. Learning to believe in something that you know is not yet true and keep pushing on it until it becomes so. The problem that's happening with Daenerys in season eight, the reason that you're probably disconnecting from her a bit, or at least the reason that I am, is that we don't actually believe her choices. And the reason we don't believe her choices is because nothing is forcing her to break bad. If you actually look at the structure of season eight, it's hard to pinpoint that moment that the Breaking Bad began. It's almost as if we got to the end of last season and everything seemed like it was fine. Sure, she did force John to bend the knee, but we understood why she did so. And guess what? It was probably the right decision. 
And she did torch Sam's family when they refused to bend the knee. And we might not have liked her decision, but we understand why she did so. And no one is pretending it was a nice decision and probably it was the wrong one. But it wasn't the decision of a bad leader who only cared about power. It was the decision of someone fighting for the future of her world and needing people to rally around her and potentially making a tragic mistake. But we get to the beginning of this season and it feels like we're meeting a different person because whatever change happened in Daenerys that turned her into a person with no ethics or loyalty or trust in those around her or desire for anything except power must have happened internally. It didn't happen on the outside. We didn't actually get to see it. We see the start of it in season seven and we see the effects of it in season eight, but we can't pinpoint that moment. So this is what's cool about plot. It's malleable, especially if you get good at rewriting. When you have a problem like this, and I do believe that this season of Game of Thrones actually does have a structural problem with Daenerys. When you have a structural problem in your script and you're a new writer, usually your instinct is, oh my God, I've got to throw it all out. I've got to change everything. And this is rarely true. Rather, you need to look at your plot and ask yourself, okay, out of all that I've created, what's good? What's strong? What felt truthful? What's interesting? Ask yourself, how could I use this plot to pinpoint those moments of decision in my character's journey? How can I use this plot to string together the choices that actually change the character? If you've taken my level one classes, you know this is a much more advanced way of rewriting than we discuss at the beginner level. I will be getting much more in depth with this in my upcoming level two weekend intensive where we'll be talking about these kinds of advanced rewriting techniques. But I want you to understand that this is a more advanced approach because it isn't just following your instincts. This is about allowing your heart and your head to work together, fusing art and craft to create a believable journey that actually takes your character where you want them to go. And it ain't easy, but let's talk about how it works. It starts with looking at the moments you have and asking yourself if you can track the choices that lead up to those moments. If you can find the exact moment where each step of the character's change took place. The real problem in season eight of Game of Thrones is that they're missing the moment called the inciting incident for Daenerys. If you studied with me, you know I have some major issues with this term. So this is going to be a slightly oversimplified version of how this works structurally. But we're using the term that's commonly used in the industry to help those of you who have not yet taken my classes, who are just listening on the podcast. So what they're missing this season is the moment that starts Daenerys's Breaking Bad for real, the moment that opens the door to change. And the reason they're missing that moment is that they start trying to break her bad before anything has happened that would make her break bad. We can contrast this to Walter White in Breaking Bad. If we look at Walter White in the first season, we know exactly why he's Breaking Bad. We know he has cancer. We know this is changing his life. We know that he feels like he can't provide for his family. We know how he finds out about this new way of doing it. And the truth is, Game of Thrones also has all the plot necessary to believably move Daenerys to a point where we will believe that she's Broken Bad. What's missing is the value of that plot because the change starts way too early. Think instead of what would happen if we watched Daenerys at the beginning of this season and she was the same complicated but generally good person we met at the end of the last one. What if we met a woman who was good? What if we met a woman who was trying to hold on to her integrity, trying to hold on to her goodness and her power at the same time? 
But things keep happening that keep chipping away at that integrity. First, she comes to Winterfell, and she's used to being welcomed with open arms and love, right? Everyone who has met Daenerys has either seen her as a dangerous enemy that they wanted to kill, or as a great liberator that they believed in. Everyone from Tyrion and Varys to the Unsullied, she's gotten used to being loved and appreciated. Even all the way to Jon Snow, who bends the knee to her. And here she comes to Winterfell, and nobody likes her. Everybody hates her. Now, all that plot already exists. The problem is she's already changing. But what we really want to watch, what would make us connect to her, is seeing her try to hold on to her integrity in the face of all these people who hate her for no reason. Even though she's come there to save them, even though she's stepped away from her own war to try to defeat the undead, even though they need her dragons. We need to feel the ingratitude chipping away at her ethical core, rather than the change in her morality happening in advance. And just feeling like, yeah, I guess maybe they're right not to like her. Then Daenerys finds out that Jon actually has claim to the throne. And she instantly turns into a bad guy. Her whole journey has been based on the belief that she is meant to be the queen. That she's meant to be the heir to the Iron Throne based on her blood. So wouldn't it be more interesting to watch her wrestle with that idea? as a woman whom we've met and understood as a person with integrity, to watch her wrestle with the idea that maybe it's meant to be John, and maybe from there to watch her wrestle with some of her own assumptions, that a direct line of descent to the throne is actually the most important quality in a queen or a king. Is that what we actually believe? And eventually, perhaps, the question of what kind of decisions it actually takes to rule seven kingdoms who all want what you have. Can you really remain as humble as John does? Or do you have to stake your claim before they mutiny against you like they once did to John at the wall? In the previous episode, we watched Jorah die, and in this episode, Daenerys tells John that she never loved Jorah like she loved him. But the truth is, we've actually seen something different. We actually know how much she loved Jorah. Wouldn't it be more interesting and more complicated for her to admit to John how much she loved Jorah? how complicated and confused she is. In this episode, we watch Varys, who we know to be manipulative and always thinking long-term, never thinking about the short-term human costs of his actions. We watch Varys make the argument that killing a bunch of people to take the Iron Throne is wrong and a terrible, terrible mistake. But the truth is, that doesn't seem like Varys at all. It seems like Varys to say, what's the most effective way to do this and let's do it. It's more like Daenerys to say, no, I refuse to torch 10,000 innocent people. So what's happening is to try to create conflict, the writers are actually switching the characters. The characters actually aren't playing their own roles or by their own rules. And we aren't watching the problem grow organically within the characters. Rather, we're watching it be superimposed upon them for the sake of the plot. We aren't watching Daenerys' ethics get chipped away by the pain and horror of war. Which, of course, is how a woman like Daenerys could actually become a tyrant. Instead, we're watching the writers manipulate these characters, trying to get to that conflict. In this episode, we watch Tyrion, the smartest guy in the room, make the dumbest possible choice. Everybody knows there's absolutely no way that Cersei is going to abdicate the throne, no matter how nicely you ask. And we also know that all Cersei wants is her brother dead. She wants it more than anything in the world, which is why it isn't believable when Tyrion walks towards that castle and the archers take their aim. Because you're waiting. 
You know this is the moment that Tyrion is going to eat it. You know Cersei's going to kill him. You're already pitching that idea to yourself. But what happens is the writers let their foot off the gas pedal because they don't want to kill their character. They actually don't allow the worst thing to happen. And because they don't allow the worst thing to happen, and yes, it's terrible that they killed Daenerys' wonderful and beloved advisor, Masande, but the worst thing hasn't actually occurred. For some inexplicable reason, Cersei doesn't take the shot she's been waiting for, the one she sent Bronn all the way to Winterfell to take for her. And because the worst thing hasn't actually occurred, we aren't able to see how everyone's changed by it. Imagine if Cersei had assassinated the brilliant hen behind Daenerys, the one man capable of tempering her anger. Imagine if the worst had really happened. We would start to understand how Daenerys would have to break bad. How Missandei's final words could take root in her head and make her rethink her ethical decision. If we understood Daenerys as the person who comes to parley saying, I don't want to torch these people, it would be so much more interesting to watch her react to the stacking of events, the death now of two dragons, the death of Jorah, the hatred of the people in Winterfell, the shocking news that she maybe isn't destined for this, the death of the people she loves around her, the betrayal of Cersei, the loss of of Masande and Masande's final words, wouldn't it be more interesting to watch that structure develop and build up to this one moment where the real break happens? And so this is the idea I want to leave you with. Structure grows out of plot, but structure is not plot. Structure grows out of the psychological truth of your character, the way you push them and push them and push them and push them until they change. For your structure to really land and your episodes to really land, you need to create that stuff in a way that feels connected. It's okay if you're a very skillful writer, if your craft is very strong. It's okay to say, I want to move my character to this. But then you have to be honest with yourself. Are they actually ready to move? And if they aren't, you don't just get to move them anyway. You've got to actually push them there. You've got to keep externalizing the internal, locating those moments of choice to push them one step at a time until you really believe it. Or you can simply allow your characters to do it themselves. You can simply ask yourself, how do I keep pushing them until they make an interesting decision? Until they do something that surprises me? Until they take me to a place that I didn't expect to go? You can do this even if you don't have a plan at all. So these are your two choices. The only choice you don't have is the choice that Game of Thrones is making right now. You don't have the choice to puppet and manipulate your characters. Because even if you have the kind of audience Game of Thrones has, and yes, they're going to survive this small problem that's happening in this episode, but even if you have that audience, you want the audience to connect to your character. You want the audience to shed genuine tears when your character makes a terrible mistake. You want the audience to be wishing that Daenerys could be the person she used to be, as opposed to accepting, okay, I guess she's different this season. You want your audience to imagine that these characters are real and not to remind themselves that the writer is doing something. As a writer, in fact, you want to become invisible. I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. For a complete transcript, please visit our website, writeyourscreenplay.com slash podcast.